0: Mackett has the ball, Trojans in transition, Penrose is alone, they get it to Penrose
1: for the three! Welcome to Believe in USC Basketball everybody, my name is Aiden Berg and today I am joined by my co-host and Trojan legend Christopher Penrose. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, how are you doing? I'm doing great, and uh, I I want to to give you the chance to give us a happy intro, given what we're going to be talking about for the most part on the podcast today, and tell our listeners about some really awesome news that you got.
0: Yeah, so uh, my wife and I are expecting what we hope will be a little Trojan, although my wife does have some brewing blood in her, so uh, <laughs> you know it'll it'll be a fun little rivalry to see who the uh, the ultimate tiebreaker is what we're calling that little one. We're not going to find out if it's going to be a boy or a girl. We're going to be surprised. So, uh, but we will be expecting a little one in September.
1: Yeah, that is such great news. Uh, and as someone with a September birthday, I can confirm that it is the best month to be born in. But uh, <laughs> it was it was so great to to see that uh, before the Gonzaga game the other day. You know, some some happy news kind of ahead of the fire. Uh, and so, congratulations on that. But we Thank should you. probably get into the uh that game <laughs> that, yeah. that that happened the 85 to 66 loss for USC basketball to the number one overall seed Gonzaga in the elite 8 and uh i think that the number one thing that i came away from that game chris was just gonzaga's pressure and play speed was at, just at a different level from USC. I, I think it was most notable in, in that first stretch of the game when USC had all those turnovers and it just seemed like Gonzaga was coming down and storing every possession. You know, did you see the, these teams just playing at a different speed out there? You know, it really did look like, you know, a one versus a
0: six. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like the old school NCAA tournament one versus six matchup. and And unfortunately you know, our Trojans were just outplayed for a full 20 minutes. I mean, you know, in in a, in a elite game, elite, a game like that, you know, you usually see a few lead changes, even if it's two to nothing to start. And that's the only lead change. You usually see a few lead changes, a couple ties and, you know, with 10 minutes left in the game, you know, TBS put up a stat that said zero lead changes, zero ties. Um, And that's, it's pretty rare to see that, um, and, it, you know, it was frustrating. And, you know, after the game, I did a bunch of radio shows and I basically said the same thing. And it's it's morbid, but I felt like I was just waiting to watch like my old dog just pass away. Like like with 10 minutes left in the game, it felt like it was an hour for that game to be over with. And you just wanted it to be over with. I mean, it was just like a very, very slow, painful end. Uh to that game. And, and, you know, it's unfortunate because it, it was, a, it was a tough end to, you know, ultimately a great season. Um, and, and to go out like that and for the game to not be competitive was, was frustrating. You could see the frustration on the players faces. You really saw it on the coaches faces. Um, but like you said, just from the very beginning, I mean, the Trojans, I think their first three possessions were all turnovers mm-hmm. and they led to wide open layups. Um, And when you look at all over 80% of Gonzaga's points in the first half were scored in the paint. Um, And, and we have the best rim protector in the country in Evan Mobley and it it just their game plan. um, I felt like they looked at those three games against Colorado and said, let's push them around. Let's, pressure Tajidi let's you know not let them set screens let's not let's push them out of screens Mm -hmm. and they completely took SC out of their offensive sets and then defensively SC just had no answer I mean what was very impressive about Gonzaga is number one how well they move the basketball which is what everyone's been talking about the whole season but to see it against your team knowing how great our defense has been all season um, to see how they move the ball and how it's not dribble 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 shot it's pass 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 into the post kick it out Either open shot, pump fake, and you're in the key for a floater. I mean, it was just textbook offense from the Zags.
1: Yeah, and on on that kind of topic, you you have never been a fan of the of the zone defense that the Trojans some kind of sometimes throw out there. It's been successful, uh, especially in earlier games in the tournament. But I really felt like Gonzaga just kind of took advantage of that, and uh, especially drew Timmy, kind of having that space in the middle to operate. He really. Uh he really ate up all of that and, and and took advantage of all those opportunities that he had with uh you know like Evan Mobley having to close out on him kinda late from that from that mm-hmm. bottom spot in the middle. And then, you know, even when Zagger was missing, they were getting offensive rebounds because the zone doesn't allow you to match up and, and put your body on, on someone. Jalen Suggs nearly had a triple double. You know, Drew Drew Tibby had you know, in, in the twenties and points that he was just, uh, th- those two were just really, really difficult to stop.
0: Yeah. And you know, the zone defense,
1: you know, I don't blame Enfield for going to it with
0: how effective it was against Oregon. But the thing that I was kind of laughing about during that Oregon game is Oregon was getting the ball in the middle of the zone, right at the free throw line. And the Oregon, the Oregon players who were catching the ball wouldn't even square up and look at the rim. Yeah. And, and so it was basically they were getting it into the zone, which is how you get the zone sucked in. But they they weren't they weren't squaring up to the basket. And so as soon as Gonzaga did that and they turned around, they looked how close they were to the rim. It was either an easy shot or a one dribble in a floater or a one dribble, Evan Mobley comes up, you have a Gonzaga cutter to the basket, and it's a dump off for an easy layup there. Uh, but for You know, Gonzaga knew exactly what they were doing against that zone. And then, like you said, when SC was able to force them to shoot a three and the ball came off the rim, Gonzaga most likely would get the offensive rebound. Um, And then, you know, on the flip side of that, the Trojans on offense, you know, after watching Gonzaga pass the ball and how how well they cut and they backdoor and they move without the ball, you know, SC's offense was extremely stagnant. And it was, Mm -hmm. let's throw the ball into Mobley and everyone just stood. No one's cutting off the ball, no one's setting the screen for someone else. Um, it, it was just—it was frustrating to watch. There was just no no real activity on offense, which, you know, which it's tough to get back into the game when when you're not passing the ball.
1: And it's especially what you can't do because they were they were doing the thing where they double teamed Evan Mobley as the passers in the air, and, and even Isaiah Mobley at times they were doing that too. And if you just stand there when that's happening, it's either going to be a strip, you know, and, and Gonzaga's is going the other way, or you're not going to be able to take advantage of the of the space that you've that you've garnered anyway because they're sending two guys at at the man in the post, right? So yeah, it, it, it's just you know uh, there wasn't any you know I, I guess ir- irritation at, at at losing to a team like Gonzaga because me personally, I think they're the the best college basketball team that I've seen. Uh, yeah. In in my years watching the sport, I'm I'm 22, so that's not saying a whole ton, but <laughs> they're they're just a, a really great team, and you know, very no, no shame very in, in, in in losing. Yeah. But there were things that were certainly frustrating about that game. On the plus side, though, uh, I would say Isaiah Mobley finished out what was a really really good tournament run with another solid day in 19 seven and uh, 7 of eleven shooting, zero turnovers uh, in a game where USC kind of struggled to hold on to the ball. I I thought that he was just really impressive throughout this whole tournament. And I think that can kind of segue us into, you know a, a reflection on this team that did make the Elite Eight, and I think it was their fifth Elite Eight in program history. Uh, you know, just talking about this team in, in the tournament, and and I I do think it kind of starts with Isaiah Mobley. He was really good across these uh across these four games. I think probably USC's most consistent player, especially when you consider offensively and really played his best in the big games do you feel like you know he kind of just elevated himself at this point in the season
0: i do and and you know what i think was the difference for him especially in the tournament was he got his three-point shot going mm-hmm. um and to be and his free throws i mean he made almost all of his free throws during the tournament which you know i haven't been shy on this podcast ripping on him uh, for his free throw shooting during the season. And at times I've called for, you know, the coaches to pull him out of the game towards the end of the game because he was such a liability. Um, But you can tell that he's been working on it and, you know, props to him. Uh, You know, he really converted at the free throw line. He got his three point stroke going, you know, defensively, you know, being a a post defender, I thought he was one of the best post defenders um, in the entire tournament. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see now. You know, prior to coming into this tournament, I would have said that he's 100% coming back to school. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, goes and tests the NBA waters. Uh, you know, retains his eligibility, doesn't hire an agent or anything. Um, but I, I would assume that he's probably going to go test the NBA waters now after this, after being, um, you know, one of two SC players to make the uh, Western. Uh, uh, What is it the west bracket tournament team Mm -hmm. um you know he'll probably go out and he'll he'll see he'll get some feedback from some nba scouts and some gms um i I would assume he's going to come back i would hope that he's going to come back um because sc is going to need him i would think but uh you know I, i was very impressed with him during the tournament and hopefully he can come back next year and build on that momentum that he's established
1: yeah, and also you know, given the fact that his brother is you know ninety nine point nine percent leaving for for the NBA, uh, it, it's always a question you know because those guys are so close. Maybe they want to to leave together and and go try mm-hmm. to play in the league. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, certainly, nothing but the nothing but the best for his decision. Uh, I also want to talk about USC just kind of overall as, as a team. I thought outside of that Gonzaga game, they were really, really good in the tournament. That, that maybe yeah. kind of feels obvious to say because they made the Elite Eight as a sixth seed. But when you hold both Drake and Kansas in, in the 50s defensively, you store in the 80s against Kansas and Oregon, that shows they were you know, really good both offensively and defensively in this tournament. Really shot the ball well in in those middle games against Kansas and Oregon. And did so even though, you know, Evan was solid. Obviously, Evan Mobley was very impactful throughout the tournament. But the Drake game was really the only one where he was, like, putting up big stats and and really kind of showing himself as, like, a world beater, I guess. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, what did you see from the overall teams throughout this tournament and how did it kind of switch in that Gonzaga game?
0: Well, the, and you know, when we, when we talked to coach Capco on this show, you know, I think he kind of said it all when he was like the unselfishness of this team really Mm -hmm. was showing through, um, just and and it's it's almost frustrating to say this because the complete opposite of everything I'm going to say happened in a Gonzaga game, but, you know, the way they were passing the ball, uh, the way that, you know, someone would give up uh, a decent shot to get someone a good shot or a better shot, um, you know, defensively, their rotations were phenomenal Um, being able to help if someone got beat and then the recovery back to open players uh, was, was very, very good. Um, and they just seemed to be clicking on all cylinders. And, you know, one of the things that we've said all year is, you know, Ethan Anderson would have a good game and then he would play awful for the next three weeks. And then Taji would have a good game, but Isaiah Mobley and, and, you know, Isaiah White wouldn't do anything. I felt like those first three games of the tournament, everyone was clicking, everyone Mm -hmm. was having a good game. Um, and they were playing very, very well together. Uh, and and it was one of those things where, you know, if the team that showed up against Kansas um, showed up against Gonzaga, you know, I think that's that's a five point game going into you know, the last two minutes there. Um, but unfortunately, it just it didn't work out that way. I mean, Isaiah White, who has been shooting the three ball phenomenally, same with Isaiah. You know, I think they made one three between the two of them um, and, and they just they couldn't get anything going. Uh, But but throughout the tournament before that Gonzaga game, you know, I just I just felt like in terms of a team atmosphere and a team playing well together, they were the best in the country at that point.
1: Yeah, they did seem kind of overwhelmed against Gonzaga. They couldn't really hold on to the ball, especially early on, even when it wasn't a turnover. It really affected the flow of their offense throughout that Mm -hmm. early portion of the game. And it just kind of took away all of their momentum for the rest of it. And the Zags really sped them up, I thought, while still staying under control, which is just kind of Gonzaga's MO when you have a team that moves the ball and just kind of clicks like they do. But when mm-hmm. USC got sped up, they kind of fell out of whack. So that's just you know stuff that you learn when you get to this point in the tournament, I think. And it's different yeah. in college from the pros because you're not going to have the same team for you know, years on end, I guess that can, that can learn from these lessons, but you do have Andy Enfield there who can learn, okay, I got the Elite Eight. I played against this team that enhanced the pressure. And that's just something that we need to get better at if we're going to become true contenders. So, you know, just stuff to, stuff to learn for this program. I do have a question for you, Chris, bringing it out to the whole year long kind of view and ask, how will you remember this year's Trojans team?
0: That's a good question. I mean, I'll definitely remember this team as you know a team that should have won the conference outright. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I you know it, the stats will always show that they didn't, um, but it's almost I it felt like they did. Um, a team that that you know swept UCLA when UCLA was a Final Four team which is kind of crazy to still think about yeah. um, a team that, you know, beat Arizona in Arizona uh, for the first time since my senior year uh, where we beat Lou Olson and the Wildcats in Tucson um, and a team that went to the elite eight and, you know, made us all proud. You know, this is a season that, you know, obviously had tons and tons of challenges. And, you know, when you see a team like Duke, who's, uh, you know, a, a blue blood of college basketball, kind of quit on the season because of the atmosphere and everything. And a team like Kentucky that just kind of quit, you know, and you see what the Trojans were able to do and prevail with everything going on and makes you very proud of these young men and very proud of the coaching staff. Uh, Cause it's very easy to say, Hey, COVID's happening. You know, some games got canceled. Season doesn't mean anything. It's not a big deal. We can all retain our eligibility. Let's just call it a season. It's very easy to do that. Um, and the mental perseverance of everyone on this team, the coaching staff, uh, makes me very proud to be a Trojan basketball fan. Um, and I think that's what I'll what I'll always kind of think of this team.
1: Yeah, I, I just look at it from the perspective: this is one of the best USC teams ever. You know, fifth time that they've made an elite eight. Evan Mobley is maybe had, had maybe the best individual year for a Trojan ever, sweeping the three awards in the Pac-12. You know, national player of the year kind of buzz. He's not going to win it, but he's he's in that kind of conversation, right? And then the fourth yeah. best winning percentage ever, or not ever since a, by a USC team since 1970, is is pretty notable, right? When you when when you yeah. get right down to it. Uh, also, Andy Enfield's best team, you know, going 25 and seven, furthest of his NCAA tournament runs, fewest mm-hmm. points allowed in his tenure per game. Top five in the country by adjusted defensive efficiency. I think it shows that his program is trending up and he's you know continuing to learn and, and improve as a coach for sure. It, it certainly helps when you get a, a top three draft pick on your team, but uh, you yeah. know he's he's clearly learning from from his experiences here. And then just a really fun team. you know, there were the frustrations with the offensive droughts, the the free throw shooting, but so tenacious defensively. You know, so long at the rim, swallowing those shots up, unselfish, like you said, hard workers. You know, it, it kind of showed in in every press conference. It it lined up with what Coach Tapco was saying that these guys are unselfish. They're playing for each other. They're playing hard, and they had you know big goals in mind that they, you know, if if they if they had national championship goals, they they weren't too far off, right? Right. So. Yeah you know from Evan Mobley being just amazing to Taj game winner against UCLA the the pandemic stuff that was constantly happening with them you know like rescheduling every game against Stanford basically yeah Uh, it was just a special team to to watch and cover so it was you know it was fun for me to to get to do so this year
0: yeah it was great and you know on to next season I can't wait to actually go back to the Galen Center and watch a game in person I mean that's I mean, as much as the Gonzaga game, uh, my, you know, my biggest lowlights of the year was probably the the three Colorado losses, the Gonzaga loss. But bigger than that is I didn't get to see, you know, uh, Mobley play uh, in the Galen Center, um, right? You know, in my in my usual seats where I get stressed out during every game. It's <laughs> it's such a bummer. So, uh, you know, that that's tough. And you know, for all the fans that didn't get to see him in person, it's it's brutal. Um, but you know, on to next season, and hopefully we'll get some normalcy back next year, and we'll pack the Galen Center, and you know, it'll be all
1: good. Yeah, getting back in Galen Center is certainly one thing to look forward to. I think let's end this podcast by doing that kind of looking forward stuff. I think we'll we'll maybe go into it a little bit more uh, as the off season progresses, but. I want to ask you this question of how can USC use this season as a springboard to become a true contender?
0: Well, I think, you know, the last couple of years, the way Enfield has built this, these teams have been, you know, one or two, you know, really good recruits. And then, you know, three or so good transfers, grad transfers, Uh, the transfer portal right now, there are like, you know, over you know, 600 kids in the transfer portal right now. And, and Enfield and Capco and Jay Hart have done a great job of finding the right pieces um, uh, to, to bring these kids in here uh, that will mix well with, with the current group of players. So I think they're going to have to go get three or four good transfers. Um, you know, there's a guy that uh, you know, was at Memphis, Boogie Ellis, Southern California kid. SC was really close to getting him originally. He just entered the transfer portal. I think SC needs a point guard um, to help Ethan Anderson. Uh, And, uh, you know, that could be a great piece of the puzzle right there. There are a bunch of other good shooters out there that SC is going to need to bring in. Shooting is going to be very important because they're going to lose a lot of that uh, for next year. But, you know, they have some good guys coming back. You know, what Isaiah Mobley does, I think, will be a, a big factor in, in how the coaches kind of hit that transfer portal or that transfer wire. Um, but, you know, next year is going to it's, it's going to be a big year for a few people. I mean, Ethan Anderson next year is going to be a huge, huge year for him. Uh, Max Agbampolo, he had a lot of ups and downs this year. Next year is going to be a big, big year for him. Um, you know, Noah Bowman, you know, he's been in and out of playing. He's gotten a couple of minutes here or there. He needs to work on his defense. That's the, that's the main reason why Enfield felt like he couldn't play him a lot this year it was he was a liability defensively. You know, there's, these guys are going to have to work really hard on some flaws that they have this off season, but they all have the potential to be very, very good players and consistent starters with the program. So, um, I'm excited for next year. I think, you know, I think the team's going to obviously look different just like it has the last couple of years, Um, but there's a lot of promising things with this team for next year.
1: Yeah, it's going to be so interesting to see how the COVID eligibility rule plays out for these guys. You know, they have Mm -hmm. the redshirt seniors and Edie and White and Goodwin. Do those guys come back? You know, none of them are really NBA prospects, uh, but, you know, maybe they want to go play professionally, but they do have the extra year of eligibility, so... It's it's just gonna be so interesting to see that I think that to become you know that kind of top level contender that USC is looking to become, mm-hmm. it's gonna be about continuing to recruit those great players like Evan Mobley, onyeko Kongwu, these these five star prospects that Enfield has gotten recently, but more at the at the playmaker positions I think you, you saw the last two years USC was really big man oriented. And while it's great to have, you know, the man in the middle and, and be able to hold down the paint like that, you also need to have really, like, elite-level playmakers, especially when you get into, into the tournament. That's what we saw with Jalen Suggs and are continuing to see. And if USC can recruit, you know, those absolute top-level guards and, and playmakers to help them handle those fast and energetic teams like Gonzaga— they're going to do a lot better when it comes around to playing these elite teams in the tournament again. Yeah. But also you would like to keep hitting those big, those big man recruits. It's like, yeah. you, you just, you want to be, you want to be recruiting really well at, at all levels of the roster. So uh, it's, it's a lot to ask for sure, but it's, it's where you have to be to, to get to the level of a, of a Gonzaga or a Baylor or something like that. But those programs have also showed that you can go from, you know, mid tier, lower tier to having these elite players through really solid coaching, great player development, uh, all, all, all of that stuff. And then, and then the recruiting does end up coming along once you've done that work. And USC is well on its way to doing that work. Now it's about showing to these elite-level playmakers who are coming out of high school, hey, you have a chance to be really great here, and we can build something special.
0: Yeah, totally agree.
1: And then I think, you know, just kind of wrapping up, to to run through what the what the roster could look like. You know, Evan Mobley almost definitely gone. Isaiah, like we said, could be back. Could could not. We'll we'll wait and see how how that will play out. Edie, White, and Goodwin can all be back. And then some young guys with a chance to step into larger roles. You know, you mentioned Ethan Anderson and Max Agwank as, you know, needing to become the big players on this team. Maybe maybe become starters. There's also going to be, you know, big vacated minutes at the big man spots with, you know, the Mobleys potentially leaving. One of them, definitely. Uh, Bubakar Koulibaly, Joshua Morgan, they both have a chance to compete for those minutes at, at the big man spots. And then Reese Waters should be important, really, to a team that is in need of some perimeter offense, I would say. So- I agree.
0: And, and remember, you know, Reese Waters played a couple of minutes this year in, in, in a few games. Uh, he's supposed to be in high school. So, you know, it, with all the eligibility stuff kind of being thrown out the window, he had the ability to kind of graduate early uh, from high school and then jump right into the team. So, it, you know, next year he'll be, quote unquote, a true freshman. Um, but he's going to have some experience, you know, living the college lifestyle, being in college practices. He'll definitely have a leg up uh, on, on, you know, other freshmen in the conference.
1: Yeah, definitely. And then he was just part of of a, a really good recruiting class for USC that is kind of addressing some of those concerns about the, about the perimeter game. Another, you know, another portion of perimeter help is the uh, four-star combo guard, Malik Thomas. He's ranked number 81 nationally. So he and Reese Waters are, are maybe kind of like the future of the, of the guard positions at, at USC and mm-hmm. uh, could, could really come in and make an impact. And then they have two pretty good three stars and, uh, power forward Harrison Hornery and shooting guard Kobe Johnson. Uh, you know, certainly the, the first name of, uh, of of Kobe Johnson is going to instill some confidence in a lot of people. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, there's excitement about him for sure. And, they, and then they also have a hard commit from power forward K.J. Allen. So I wouldn't yeah. say it's a replacement for, you know, the absolute star power of Mobley because nobody's expecting these dice to go, you know, top five in the draft or anything. But they are at positions of need, and and maybe this run will help them kind of improve their recruiting, especially at the guard positions, but just overall in future years.
0: Yeah, I mean, you look at some of these, like Harrison Hornery, kind of reminds me of a Nick Rakocevic a little bit when he came in as as a freshman. Uh, you know, six nine, two ten. I mean, he he needs to to pack on some weight. Um, getting that weight room kind of under the radar guy. He's only a quote unquote three-star recruit. I try to not look at the stars because I think that whole system's very, very flawed, but uh, you know, kind of an under the radar big man that has a lot of upside will be a great four-year player in the program. Um, So I'm pretty excited to see what he's going to bring to the table. Then, you know, Malik and Kobe, you know, those guys can just score Um, and that that's what this team's going to need. They're going to need scores guys that can take it to the rim you know, pull up, hit a little mid-range jump shot, and then hit an open three. So um, all that stuff I'm excited for. Um, To be honest, I don't know a ton about KJ Allen. Um, He's an East LA college guy, Um, but I'm excited to see what he can bring to the table as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. So that is a wrap on USC basketball's 2020-2021 season. Thank you so much to everyone for listening, not only to this episode but as we've kind of gone along this journey with this team it's been a lot of fun and uh certainly chris and i appreciate it so thank you you can find us on spotify apple podcasts and everywhere else that podcasts exist thanks again for tuning in and we will see you next week fight on fight on